0: Uh, it's a privilege, as they head to their class, it's a privilege, just want to introduce our speaker this morning, uh, Rick. Uh, I got a chance to uh, hear from him about two years ago uh, at Momentum Youth Conference. He was one of our speakers, and he was one of the ones that gave the charge as we headed out into the community, and uh, got a very powerful testimony, but here's what I love about Rick. Uh, if you spend any amount of time with Rick, and I hope you'll get to spend some time a little bit, he's got to head to the airport pretty quickly, him and Brenda, after uh, after the service here, but uh, for Rick and Brenda, their love for Jesus is contagious. Uh, we got a chance to spend uh, a little bit of time with them last night at dinner, and uh, they love the Lord. And a deep heart for people, a deep heart for sharing the word. Uh, Rick is an evangelist at heart. He loves the gospel, loves to be able to deliver that to people that he encounters. And uh, and Brenda as well uh, loves the Lord. And so it's a privilege for us. Uh, to have them here this morning. Uh, Rick is from the Kensington, Philadelphia area. That's where Urban Hope is. They're members of uh, the Urban Hope Community Church. And uh, Rick also has, uh, Rick and Brenda have a ministry to uh, men who are recovering from different types of addictions. And so they meet weekly with different men. So it's a privilege for them uh, to be here this morning. So Rick, why don't you come on up? I'm going to have a word of prayer for you uh, this morning as you come. God, thanks so much uh, for your love for us. God, thanks how you redeem our hearts. You redeem our souls. Uh, God, thanks for your love for us, for your son, Jesus Christ, what, Jesus Christ, what you've done on the cross. Uh, you've paid our debt. Uh, God, a debt that we couldn't pay on our own. And uh, God, you, because of your unending love for us, um, have come and done that for us. So, God, as we celebrate uh, the hope of Christ this morning, as we celebrate the name of Jesus, God, as we open up your word, as we declare your truth, God, may you pierce our hearts uh, with your word and with your scriptures. And, God, may we leave different than when we came. God, I pray that your spirit would speak through Rick as he uh, shares with us this morning. And, God, I pray that you prepare our hearts for that. pray this in your name. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. Am I on? Am I good? Yeah. Amen.
1: Good morning, church. Good morning. good morning. My name is Rick Galatahana. It is an honor, it is a privilege, it is an amazing joy to be here this morning in your presence. This is not something that I take for granted. Um, When I was given the invitation, Joel Hawthorne, one of the the elders of CE National, actually called me up. I think I have a good idea. (laughs) Wouldn't it be so awesome for you to travel out to California? And just fellowship with the, with the believers over at Norwalk Church And I thought it was a wonder life. Before you got the words out of his mouth I was like, yes, let's go Let's do it And I'm excited to be here this morning It is an honor, please know that my heart is overwhelmed Over the, the liberty and the opportunity that Christ, our Christ How many, how many saved in the house tonight? Let's just take a quick survey here. Let me see how many know Jesus in the house Amen. When I I preach, I I, I love to receive the contribution of, or the participation rather, of God's people. Is that alright? Yes. But listen, I love the Lord. I'm going to share my story with you just relatively briefly, um, because I believe it will serve as a blessing to you. But let me first give you my title for the message. Some of you probably already read it, discovered it in your bulletin this morning. The title for this morning is God Is Not Done with You Yet. Amen. Can somebody say amen? amen. God is not done with With you yet. I know the circumstances that some of you may be enduring today. I certainly am aware of the circumstances that all of you are experiencing as a body of believers. And let me submit to you this morning it's not about some sensationalism, it's not about name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. It's a, it, it's, it concerns the truth of the Word of God. How many of you know that God has plans in store for every single one of us? Amen. <laughs> hey I got one to witness over here, my mama, my mama here. Anybody else? He's got wonderful plans in store for every single one of us. He's not done with you yet. Please make a note of that in your heart of hearts. You may be going through some serious circumstances here today as a body, as a corporate body of believers. You may be enduring physical physical sickness in your body as an individual. You may be troubled with with the IRS this morning. Some of us are. You may be troubled by with family issues and separations, etc. There are lots of things, and this is actually endless, isn't it? The troubles and the difficulties that we are capable of experiencing this side of heaven. Let this way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I can actually hear it a little bit more. No? Thank you, Lord. Am I good? Yeah. yeah. If not, I listen, I can, I can take this. No, we can. We can. Oh, I can just run around. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Am I good? Am I good? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> amen. There you go. He can see it wasn't my fault. It was their fault back there. I'm good. Amen. Amen. <laughs> thank you Lord God is not done with you yet now let, let, me, let me just say this let me just say this I'm in love with a man and his name is Jesus how many in love with a man that same man he's not done with you church he's not done with you And I know that not everybody is present here this morning. I was here four months ago. There was a little bigger crowd there. And I know the circumstances this church is experiencing. He's not done with you. You're in a transition. You're not falling apart. You're moving forward. And oftentimes it is difficult to interpret, to make a distinction between the two. You're not moving away from God. You're moving closer to God. And God is orchestrating a series of events. Unfortunately for you and I, He doesn't give us a backstage pass to see what it is He's doing behind the scenes. Wouldn't it be amazing to get a backstage pass? Lord, what are you doing? What's going on? What are you doing with this church, Lord God? It would be nice to hear from the Lord prophetically. This is the direction I'm taking you. See, but God wants us to understand. He wants us to be in sync with His Spirit by faith. Amen, church. Two things, or rather three things I want you to be able to take away. This is just a generalization. These are not my points. I'm going to share my testimony with you, as I mentioned already. But I want you to know what you... I'm going to give you ahead of time what you can take away from this message. Number one, as a generalization... It's going to speak to the difficulties that we endure as believers. A generalization concerning the difficulties that we experience as believers. How many know it's not easy to live this thing by faith, this side of heaven? It's extremely difficult, and I I know a little bit about that. I've been around the block. You're going to hear that in my story. Life is not easy to live out as a believer. The sky is not always blue over our heads. Right or wrong? It's not always blue. We we face challenges on a regular basis. And all God asks of us is to serve Him by faith. If we can somehow muster up the faith like a grain of mustard seed and take on the challenges that come our way, knowing that in Christ Jesus, how many know the verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God has never promised that the sky over our head is going to be blue all the time. He never promised me that. Quite to the contrary. He's actually promised me a level or measure of persecution. A measure of difficulties. The Bible says so. If you are acquainted with Paul, uh, Paul's epistles in the Word of God, then you know this to be true. Number two, is also, this message is also going to speak to the leadership in this church as well. Because there are some leadership lessons that we are going to discover in the passage that we're going to read this morning. And lastly, we are going to see the hand of God upon obedient man and the amazing results which follow. God never fails. He has never. He's not failing today. And God will never fail to manifest His glory in the life of the individual who chooses to serve Him in spirit and in truth. All we have to do is line up with what God has to say to us in His Word. Line up with what faith looks like. He doesn't require perfection from you and I. Even though from time to time we encounter individuals who actually believe it's possible to be perfect this side of heaven. Isn't that right, Ron? Yesterday we had a little encounter with a little something like that. But listen, it's not possible, although it's not possible to be perfect, this side of heaven, God promises us the victory every single moment of our lives if we just keep our eyes fixed on one individual, and His name is Jesus. Can I get an amen, church? The theme here is, because with God all things are possible, all things then are possible for those of us who entrust our lives to Him, especially during those seasons when we desperately need perspective. Can anybody use a little perspective here this morning? We need some perspective, right? Open your Bibles, please, to Nehemiah chapter 1. And as you're doing so, I'm actually going to prepare myself to share my story with you, because I'm actually going to do that after I read the passage. Nehemiah chapter 1, it's in your bulletin, verses 1 through 4, and I'm going to ask you to be so gracious, please stand when you find the passage. God is in this place, amen church. God is in this place, and He's going to speak to us this morning through His Word. He's going to give us life here this morning. He's going to give us perspective. I know you're looking for it because I'm looking for it myself. God is going to speak to the circumstances in our lives. He's going to revolutionize someone's perspective here today. Did you know that the trouble that you and I endure on a regular basis as poor folk is the same as the circumstances that rich folk experience on a regular basis as well the difference is perspective nehemiah one verses one through four and it reads as follows these are the and by the way i should tell you that i'm reading from the new living translation these are the memoirs of nehemiah son of hakaliah in late autumn in the month of kisleth that would be the ninth month in the Hebrew calendar, which corresponds to our December, in late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit, we, visit me with some of the men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity And about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well in Jerusalem. For those of us who have returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. And the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. I'm going to read that last verse again. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the liberty you've given us as a body of believers. The liberty that you've given us as your children, Lord God, to be in this place this morning. Because there are so many in this world, Lord God, that do not have a place of refuge that way. the way that we do this morning, Lord. We're in your presence and in the presence of one another. This corporate, this is a solemn assembly here this morning, Lord God. And we are here not because we want to see one another, although it's a part of it and it's a blessing to be in each other's presence but no lord we are here because we went we we want to be in your presence and because we want to hear from you lord god we want to know what thus saith the lord about our circumstances about our lives as individuals and certainly about our lives as a body of believers we want to know lord god where we're going We want to know, Lord God, what is the meaning of your madness, Lord God. Why things are happening the way they're happening. Why it seems as if we are bursting at the seams or falling apart, Lord God. Being pulled in so many different directions. We want to know, Lord God. We we have questions. In fact, we probably have more questions than answers, Lord God. We are slipping. We're sliding, Lord God. And we need to hear from you, Lord God, because we want you to set the record straight. We want to know, Lord God, what it is you have to say to us, Lord God. Again, as individuals and as believers, as a body of believers, where is this church going? What direction are we moving in, Lord God? Help us to understand that we're just merely transitioning and that you have a purpose There's an assignment. There's a schedule. A divine appointment, Lord God. Things that you are working out. That we need to just simply keep our eyes fixed on you by faith. And that you're going to take care of everything concerning this place. Concerning these wonderful people. Father, I pray that you speak powerfully into the hearts of everyone here this morning. In Jesus' wonderful and mighty name, we give you the glory. And God's people say... Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. We're going to get into the passage in a few moments. I want you to know that I'm looking at the time. I'm looking at the time. I'm only going to be before you about two hours, that's all. Wow, some of you. I know I could read your mind. Somebody here said, and this is not prophetic, I could just read somebody's mind. Somebody here said, you can go ahead and preach two hours if you want, but I'm out of here in a half hour, dude. Let me, Let me share... Something with you concerning my life. And you forgive me if I fall apart a little bit. It's a challenge every time to share my story because it's a true story. It's a real story. But I want you to take something from my story. I want you to understand it applies to this particular passage. We have difficulties in life. We fall apart at times and, and, and more often than not, as I said already, we have more questions than answers. What is God up to in my life? Why are these circumstances occurring in my life the way that they are? Why is it that God doesn't just take these, remove these things from our lives? We're going to learn some of those things in this passage. Uh, I was born and raised in the city of Philadelphia. I pro- I'm probably going to be more brief than I intended. Just bear with me. I was born and raised in Philadelphia, in the streets of North Philadelphia. My parents were born and raised in Puerto Rico, but they they moved uh, to Philadelphia probably 40 years ago. Um, my brothers and I were born and raised in the city, but unfortunately for us, um, we were born and raised in a neighborhood that was riddled with drugs and alcohol and just flat out mayhem. A lot of it in the neighborhood, so. between the front door of our house and the school bus that took took us off to school, there was a whole lot of stuff that we had to go through, a whole lot of temptation and influence. And somebody say, influence? We had to do whatever it is we could to evade, to avoid. But unfortunately for us, three boys, one girl, we were actually drawn to the nonsense or the mayhem, the... The destructiveness in the neighborhood, it it appealed to us. How many know that when your sinful nature is not corralled or in check, when we fail to mortify, as Paul the Apostle put it in the King James text, mortify the deeds and lusts of the flesh? When we fail to do that, the culture around us will sort of pull us in, it'll draw us in, it'll suck us into the vacuum. And it's not good when it happens. And at the age of 12 years old, I started stealing packs of cigarettes from my father. I knew where his stash was. And I started taking packs of cigarettes, and I was the source for my friends and I. We smoked cigarettes all the time, and I actually was able to acquire them from my father's stash on a regular basis. We really didn't know what we were doing because we we weren't inhaling the stuff. We were just making fools out of ourselves in the backyard in the neighborhood and out on a baseball field that we made for ourselves. And how many know that it, it's only a matter of time, when you open that type of door, it's only a matter of time before the enemy slips in something stronger and more destructive that you may not necessarily be able to free yourself from. Because by the age of 13, just a little while later, just, just a year later, I was already smoking pot, smoking marijuana. By the age of 15, I was smoking um, marijuana so heavily, so heavily, that I could not live life. I could not function without smoking marijuana. I know that it's legal out here, but it's a mistake. It's a mistake. Marijuana is destructive. It destroyed my life. By the age of 15 and 16, I was so athletic in sports that if it had not been for the marijuana, if I had just simply stayed the course... Concerning my academic process, I would have already, by the age of 46, I know I look a little younger than that, but I'm 46. By the age of 46, I would have already played a career in, in professional football or baseball easily, hands down, easily. Because that's the kind of talent that God blessed me with. And I'm, I was always grateful. It. it came easy for me. Even at 46, right now, right now, I can throw a football probably 70 yards. Easily. I could still probably throw a hardball, probably say 92, 93 miles per hour. Relatively easy right now. And so I started smoking marijuana extremely heavily, and one thing led to another. And by the age of 15, as I said, we formulated, because i got to get to the substance of this thing, right? I want to get to the Word of God. By the age of 15, my brothers and I and some friends in the neighborhood we formulated what became known as one of the worst gangs in the city's history. I'm not lying to you. I'm not kidding. You can look up the archives, North Philadelphia, in the late 80s, and you'll see Dolphin Street Posse. Just, just look up Dolphin Street Posse. And you just might see my picture right there on the page. And the friends in the neighborhood. Listen, and I'm not glorifying any of this, because it was destructive. It was volatile. It was flat-out evil, and my life was dangling over the pit of hell. By the age of 16 and a half, um, most of my friends were already dead. Most of the guys that I grew up with, that I was hanging around with, were already dead. We had funerals, multiple funerals, every single week. And the crimes that we were committing, you don't even want to hear the crimes that we were already committing. Suffice to say that I was arrested, I was just 17 years old, because i got to narrow this down. I was 17 years old when I went to prison. Because of the severity of my cases, I was sentenced. I was tried and sentenced as an adult, and I was given 15 years in the state penitentiary. I was 17 years old. With a 15-year prison sentence, I was certified as an adult. I was arrested and charged for attempted murder, multiple attempted murder charges. I was arrested, charged, and convicted for possessing vast amounts of criminal substance, uh, drug substances, crack cocaine, you name it. I had a large stash that I was actually arrested with because I had my own drug corner in the neighborhood. And the the narcotics officers, the undercovers, were actually watching me come out of my safe house to the drug corner. And I was arrested with a lot of drugs. That case alone gave me five years. Conspiracy alone gave me five years. The attempted murder and the various other charges gave me five years. Three five five to ten sentences running consecutively. Six and a half later, six and a half months later, while uh, I was sitting in prison, the judge accepted my lawyer's motion to run my multiple five to ten sentences running concurrently, which means that all I had to do was five years. So I, got, I went in in 89, and I came out at 94 at the age of 24 years old. But it was in prison one day in 1989, when I chose to go out, I heard the PA system, the announcement go off, chapel service, chapel service. My buddy and I look at each other and we run off to chapel because we knew that girls were going to be coming in from the outside. And we just simply wanted to feast our eyes. That's all we wanted. We listen. We wanted nothing to do with this guy named Jesus. We just wanted to feast our eyes and break the norm. Just get out of the dorm room because of the overcrowding uh, over the crowding situation in the prison, we were staying in a dorm. So we went out to chapel service, and this preacher from South Philadelphia, I'm telling you, black man out of South Philadelphia, listen, this guy was armed and dangerous, and he preached hell so hot, I knew I was a mess, I knew I was a problem, I knew that I had to give, I had to give my life to Jesus Christ. He was graceful, he was loving. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. He was graceful and He was loving, but I needed to hear His words. His unadulterated, His uncompromising words of life as the Word of God presents it to us. And I knew that day that I was a sinner and I was heading to hell. I didn't commit that day, but two weeks later, somebody had recommended my name to a a Bible correspondence ministry out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. I love them people. I love those people. If you can get involved in any ministry, correspondence with inmates. Send Bible study lessons that will make a difference in somebody's life. I'm here before you today because somebody chose to send me two Bible study lessons. that made the ultimate difference in my life. In the back side of it, there was a sinner's prayer. I had learned about heaven, hell, grace, love of God, etc. In the two lessons. And I repeated that sinner's prayer with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And 28 years later, I'm still in love with a man named Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody. So there is hope. It doesn't matter what you're going through. And listen, I'm not going to stand here and let you, and tell you that it was easy for me because I was a loser and a half and then some. And it wasn't easy for God to pull me out of the pit that I was in. I mean, I was a moral mess. I was violent. I was nasty. I was evil. I'd stick a nine millimeter in your face and take your clothing if I wanted to. That's how it was in the neighborhood. So it wasn't easy. I gave the Lord a hard time every single day. But because of my brokenness, we were talking about that yesterday, because of the element of brokenness in my life, God was able to get my undivided attention. And I mean, I was leaping. I mean, talk about leaps of faith. It happened for me in prison because I got saved just two weeks after my incarceration. I had five years for the Lord to sanctify my life. I did the studies, you name it. But anyway, let's get into the Word of God. Look with me once again. Hopefully you still have your Bibles open. Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. One of the very first things that we must take note of in this one particular passage is that Nehemiah receives a few visitors, one of which was his brother and he asked his brother and the others that were accompanying his brother, Hanani, etc. He says, listen, I want to know about my people. I want to know about our people. What's it like back home with our people? And what's, what's it like in Jerusalem? What's going on? He did not receive the news that he perhaps was expecting. Things were not well. In fact, the Bible says that they were in great Affliction—that's the King James text. I just, just can't get away from it. It's, I, I got—I know I read the New Living Translation, but my mind is running on the King James text. You f- forgive me. Don't hold that against me. Okay? It says great affliction, which means that when you exegete that in that passage, it means that they were in need. How many here this morning find yourself in great need? They were in great physical need. The the food and the water, clean water and clothing, etc., things of that nature. They were in great affliction. And then the Bible says that they were in great reproach. The mockers, the scoffers, the persecutors, the, the, the people coming in and out, they were actually being governed by the people outside of them still. Although they were no longer in captivity... They almost essentially had no personal identity, in a sense. Because the last point is that Hananiah says to Nehemiah, Listen, the wall has been broken down, and the gates have been burned with fire. They had no security. People coming and going and ruling over them, manipulating them, coercing them. You can, you can probably get the picture. They felt weak. And they essentially had no freedom to live out the standard of God in their lives. That's a, that's a terrible place to be in. When it feels as if you don't have the liberty to live your faith out. How many can relate with that? Nehemiah responds in a very wonderful way. It's an awesome thing when we have leadership because how many know that God had erected Nehemiah? He had raised him up as he did. He was the king's cupbearer. He was a man of influence. He was in, a, in an amazing position to lead God's people, to do something wonderful and extraordinary for the people of God as well as his homeland. And Nehemiah took full advantage of his position Because his heart was open. It's something wonderful that occurs in the heart of a leader or in our hearts as believers when in spite of the circumstances we allow, we make sure, we affirm our individual faiths before our God on a regular basis, on a daily basis. How many know that God can do extraordinary things if you just had the heart to live out whatever it is God has in store for you? Again, I said earlier, God doesn't give us a backstage pass to see what He's doing in our lives. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. what does it say? It says, I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a hope and the future plans of peace to give you hope and... And the future. I love that verse because when you exegete that verse, when you look at the original language, it, the, the term to give you hope and the future actually means, I'm going to toss you a rope. Huh? It almost makes no sense in the English. You see, it's talking about their prior experience. They were in captivity, and God heard their cries. And now God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah in another book. And he says, listen, I'm going to visit you because I've heard. I have seen your pain. I know what you're going through. And I'm about to toss you a rope so that I can pull you out of the pit that I've dug for yourself because of the disobedience in your life, because of your rebellion. God tossed them a rope and he pulled them out of the pit that he had dug for. For them because of their rebellion. And now Nehemiah finds himself in a very wonderful situation. And consider how he responds. The Bible says he wept. And then he wept some more. And then he wept some more. I don't have the time to get into the verses. But we actually find that he prayed for four months. Concerning this burden that he was receiving from the Almighty God. How many know what it's like to, to, to find yourself in a very difficult situation and just simply by faith turning yourself over to God in prayer, to weep in the very presence of God in spite of your circumstances? How many know what that's like? Oh, I hope. If, if, if you don't know what that's like, I pray. I pray that today you begin to find that place of isolation, that you begin to, listen, make a room in your house, and find a place where you can get along with God. Because He's going to make the difference in your life as an individual and as a body of believers. It's the only thing that's going to make a difference. Because if not, the enemy will come in like a flood and he will do what he wants to do if we are not minding the things of God. Paul the Apostle in Colossians chapter 3, he talks about that. He says, you've got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the things which are from above. This one particular point I like because Nehemiah actually wept himself into action. I'm going to say that again. He wept himself into action. Because when you read, I'm not going to read the rest of the passage. I just don't have that kind of time. But that's your assignment. Read the rest of chapter 1. Read chapter 2. It's going to blow your mind what He allows God to do in Him first and then through Him for the sake of restoring the homeland, restoring the people of God as well. It's an amazing thing that takes place in our lives when we fix our eyes on Jesus in spite of the storm around us. you fixed your eyes on Jesus and He'll make the ultimate difference. Empathy... For the welfare of others will always serve as a catalyst for change. Empathy for the welfare of others will always serve as a catalyst for change. Where is your heart for your brothers and sisters in the Lord? Is it possible that your current dilemma here in this particular church that God has established by all means, is it possible that in your heart you've lost focus of the empathy that you're supposed to have for your brothers and sisters in the Lord, the ones that are sitting next to you right now, the ones that are no longer here for whatever reason? Is it possible that you have lost focus and have lost sight of the love that you and I are supposed to be responsible with for our brothers and sisters in the Lord? Was it possible that we've lost vision to the point where we don't see the significance of others in our lives? First point is God is faithful. God is faithful. And I've taken this point from verses 5 through 11 where Nehemiah actually prays to the God of heaven and he makes a beautiful reference. That actually gives the impression that, he's, that he was mindful of the promises of God that he had made to Moses. Because he references Moses in his prayer. That means he knew the promises of God. He was considering, he was contemplating the wonderful promises of God. You see, it was in the law that was supposed to perpetuate the wonderful experiences that each generation had with the Lord. They were supposed to share these things as stories. Share the promises of God from one generation to the next so that we don't lose sight of the truths and the experiences with our Almighty God. And Nehemiah, in wherever he was, whatever whatever place he chose as his secret place, He's crying out to the Lord and he's reminding the Lord of the promises he made to Moses and the following generations. In spite of the storm, in spite of the news that he received, in spite of what he knew to be true concerning the homeland and God's people, he held on to God's promise. I know that you're faithful. This, Lord, is tough, it's overwhelming. And I can't see clearly as long as I got my eyes horizontally. It's difficult to interpret the scene around me, Lord God. It's difficult to apply your truth in my life as I'm looking across the expanse of destruction. So he turned his eyes away from the world, away from the difficulties, and he focused on the faithfulness of God. And it's important for you... And died to do that today. It's important for you as a body of believers to know that God is faithful. He hasn't given you a backstage patch and you just may not get it either. So don't look for it. But God is faithful. He is faithful. Amen, church. Let me get an amen. Come on, amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. God is faithful. As a leader, Nehemiah recognized this about the Lord. So he prayed to him in faith. Again, verses 5 through 11, chapter 1. Two things quickly concerning this point. Nehemiah had to believe in God for the task at hand. Nehemiah had to believe in God for the task at hand. He was burdened with this. And number two, he also had to believe in God for the submissiveness of his people. He knew it wasn't going to be easy. How many know it's never easy to set out to realize God's will for our lives, especially when there seems to be no stability in the lives of the people around us. When the infrastructure, well, how am I going to realize this, that, and the other when the, build, when the building is falling apart? How am I going to realize your vision, Lord God, when the people are not in sync with your word? Oh, that's a diff- I'd like to. I would love to run away with that right there because you could preach a million sermons on that right there. We just have to know that God is faithful. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. Faithful is he who promised, who also will do it. Has God given you a promise recently? Has he spoken into your life recently? Or a few months back? Or a few years back? Has he promised something wonderful to you concerning your salvation? Concerning your faith? Concerning your family? Concerning your finances, concerning your relatives, your neighbors, your children. Some of you have children that are not here this morning because they're rebellious. Has God promised you something concerning them? Don't lose sight of that because faithful is He who promised who also will do it. The second verse, Luke one thirty-seven: With God all things are... One more time. With God all things are... One more time. Say it like you believe it. With God, all things are possible. Amen, church. In spite of what you're going through, with God, all things are possible. And lastly, concerning this point, hopefully you're taking notes. You have to remember these verses. Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither, neither the son of man that he should repent. Has God said, and shall he not do it? Or has he spoken? And shall he not make it good? God's working things out, people of God. You may not see it the way he sees it, but keep your eyes fixed on him and you're going to see his hand moving upon your life. Amen? Second point. We must get a burden from the Lord. We must get a burden... From the Lord. It's not enough to believe that God is faithful. It's not enough to believe that He can do all things. It's not enough. We're living in a in an age where, perhaps not in this church. Maybe the church down the street. Maybe the church is down in Philadelphia. But there seems to be a gospel that's being preached nowadays that has given the people of God the impression that you don't have to do anything post-salvation, post-conversion, and that God somehow is going to handle all of your affairs automatically. There are no contributions on your, or on your part or mine. That once you give your heart to the Lord, He automatically is going to handle all your affairs. Is that true? Is that in the Word of God? No, it's not in the Word of God. It's, it's not true. We can't do anything to earn our salvation, but there is a contribution nonetheless, and it's called faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's what the Bible teaches. God has wonderful plans in store for you and I, but we have to move in His direction. He exhorted young James. He says, Draw close to me, and I will draw close to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. He says, it's a wonderful thing that occurs in our lives when we yield, when we intentionally, purposely, genuinely yield our lives to God. The wondrous things that will explode in your life. And I'm not talking about some sensationalism. Don't misinterpret misinterpret my tone. I just love Jesus. That's all it is. Is that all right? I just love Jesus. But Nehemiah got a hold of a burden. And as a leader, Nehemiah heard the condition of his people and his homeland. And the Bible says he wept. As I said to you already, this applies to you and I today. But let me ask you, what is your faith like today in the midst of your troubles? I know what happened in Nehemiah's life. He got a hold of a burden from the Lord. And ultimately, you know, by the way, it is possible... The people of God back then thought they weren't, they were going to be annihilated. Did you know? It's possible many thought they were going to be annihilated. Not only were they not annihilated, but ultimately, many generations later, that same people gave birth to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Something wonderful always happens when we yield our lives to God. They gave birth to Jesus Christ many generations later. When we stay the, course. The solution, in the midst of our difficulties, Nehemiah reveals that to us. The Bible says he prayed. The Bible says he fasted. And obviously we know that he studied the Word of God. In whatever form he had it, leather, paper, scrolls, whatever... He studied the Word of God. He got in close with the Lord. Wondrous things occur when you and I find that special secret place. Can you live without prayer? Let me see your hand if you can live without prayer. Watch it. In the same way I cannot live if I hold my hand to my mouth and nose, I will die. It's just a matter of moments, perhaps a minute, maybe two minutes. It's only a matter of time before I die if I don't take in oxygen. The same applies to our prayer life. You cannot develop as a believer without prayer. It's not possible. Try studying the Word of God and memorizing the Bible from cover to cover without prayer. It's just going to make you a foolish religious man. A man without works. A man without purpose. Just some, someone simply acquainted with the book. Like any other book for that matter. Because it's prayer that allows for the substance of the Word of God. How many know that according to Peter, the Word of God is like an incorruptible seed? How many know what seeds are, right? Everybody know what seeds are. If I had a handful of oranges, can I plant them and ultimately reap a harvest? That's the question. If I have a handful of seeds, (laughs) if I have a handful of orange seeds, and I plant them and nurture the seeds with water... Can I expect a harvest one day? Yes. Why so? Because inherently, the life, the harvest is already in the seed. I just, I just got to get them in the ground. The seed will fulfill its purpose. The life is already in the seed. Having the handful of seeds, I can rejoice by faith in the harvest. I just simply got to get it in the ground. Prayer Allows for the substance of God to be manifested in our lives. The truth of the Word of God. It's not truth. It's truth. Prayer allows for the truth of the Word of God to be revealed in our souls and in our spirits. Try living your life as a believer without fail. It's not going to work. He also studied the Word of God. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it admonishes us. It says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You and I have to get into the word of God. The Bible also says, be, be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you in Christ Jesus. You have to be ready to give a hope, to give an answer concerning the hope Within you, that's in Christ Jesus. Somebody needs to hear about Jesus Christ, and it might as well be through you. Might as well be through you. You've got to get a hold of a burden. And I understand. I, I, I understand. i got too many of these points. I might slice it and dice it here. I may just leave you hanging. I may give you one more. Uh, we'll see. Number three, we must develop a plan. A.K.A. vision. We talked about that this morning. Worship leader mentioned that. And I looked to my wife and I, wow, it's in the Word of God. We must develop a plan. We must have vision. And this is found in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. We understand from those verses that Nehemiah, after being given the authority, the permission... From the king to go out and realize his vision and purpose for his homeland and for his people. In the middle of the night, without anybody else knowing, the Bible says that he went and surveyed the land. How many know he was counting the cost? He was counting the cost. Jesus allows us to understand that if you're going to set out to build a home, you don't start until you count the cost to make sure that when you begin... You actually have enough resources to finish the job. You and I, we have to have a vision. We have to be able to see past our noses. And many in the body of Christ, unfortunately, are unable to see past the nose. We do not know what direction we're supposed to be moving in. Am I going left, right, up and down, forward or backwards? And we wrestle with this identity. If you don't have vision, if you don't have a plan and you don't have identity. What does the Bible say about vision? Hosea chapter 4 verse 6. It's synonymous, it applies. My people perish for lack of knowledge. We have to have information from the Lord. We have to know what he desires of us. We have to we have to survey the land, the landscape of what is our lives, our families, our finances. Our church attendance, our membership, it's significant. Your presence here matters to God. Amen, somebody. But you have to have vision. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Where there's no vision, the people perish. Where there's no vision, the people perish. Nehemiah, he set out, I'm going to check this thing out. Because I got the backing, the support of my king to do exactly what's in my heart concerning my homeland and my people. I mean, he was given letters. He was given with the king's seal and given a seal himself and a ring to go ahead and listen. Give these letters to so-and-so. Get the job done. Go ahead and do what God, your God has put in your heart. It's amazing the favor that you and I will receive from the people outside of the fold of believers, when you and I have a vision from the Lord, when we have that perspective, when we have that in our hearts and in our minds, resources will come from all over to get the job done. From all over. How many believe that this morning? God is faithful. We must get a burden from the Lord. And we must have vision. Number four, I may or may not spend a lot of time here, but it's in the passage of Nehemiah, in the book. We must be able to denounce the critics. We must be able to denounce the critics in our lives. Not everyone around us has something positive to say about us. Not everyone around you were ever, Be able to say something positive about you. Some people have a forked tongue. There will always be people sneering, scoffing at you, mocking you, dissing you, as we say back in Philadelphia. He just dissed me. I don't believe that. And you may want to feel from time to time, I I should go in that guy's mouth. But no, you have to be able to denounce the critics in your life, especially as a body of believers. Because you're in transition and God is taking you someplace as a body of believers. He has a wonderful plan and I can see it. Listen, I don't know about you, but I can see it. I can see it and I'm standing here and I'm rejoicing in my spirit. I want to run around and shout praises to my God because I can see what God is doing. Why? Because I have vision, because I know what the Bible says about what God is capable of doing in our lives. It's not about what you and I are capable of doing. All He wants from us is a commitment. That's all we can afford to give Him. That's all we can give. You and I, in and of ourselves, don't have the capacity to do anything. Can you add to your growth? Can you add to your stature, the Bible says? Can you add? Can you even count the hairs on your head? No. Just serve me in spirit and in truth. I can do all things through Christ strengthens me. Through Christ, Who strengthens He's the man. But we have to be able to denounce the critics because they're out there. They are, dare I say, in here. Sambalot, his servant Tobiah and Gemesh. The passage will be chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. We read of three individuals actually got in nehemiah's face what in the world do you think you're doing do you have the right have you the authority to do what you're doing does the king know about this are you rebelling against the king listen i'm going to go back to the king i'm going to tell him what you're up to over here and he had no clue that god had authorized him to do it and had full permission and authority given to him by the king himself if only he had talking about Gemesh, Tobiah, and Sambala. If only they had taken the time to ask the important questions and to take note of the rings, of the authority. And Nehemiah just wasn't alone. He had an entourage of people from the king himself. And there are people in our lives today who fail to see the hand of God on our lives, who fail to realize that God is leading us someplace, that He's taking us someplace I mean, this is the case with the unbelievers in your life. They just don't understand why you're smiling the way you do, when you do. Concerning, especially when you're dealing with chaotic situations. I get that all the time. Rick, your head's up. You're smiling. I know what you got going on in your life. How is that possible? I put my arm around them. Let me talk to you about Jesus. Let me talk to you about Jesus. Denounce the critics. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech be always, always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you should answer every man. And Matthew chapter 2, 37 through 39, it talks about this this need to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself. So in the midst of denouncing, or rather recognizing their persuasiveness, their angle, right? Their motivations, we have to make sure that we are always loving them in the Lord. In the Lord, in hopes that we can win some. Draw some right back into the house of God. There are some people you don't see anymore here this morning for whatever reason. And some of you have to stand up. You have to rise up. Isaiah 60 verse 1. Rise and shine for thy light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. You have to rise up. You have to stand up and make a difference in somebody's life. It's your responsibility, if at all possible, to bring someone back into the fold. Amen, somebody. And lastly, I'm going to end it with this. We need a support group. We cannot do it alone. As individuals, you cannot do it alone. Nehemiah knew that. So you got a group of people together, one heart, one mind, one accord. They linked up, they yoked up with his vision to get the job done. What does the Bible says? It says that he gave everybody the responsibility of working on the wall in front of their houses, in front of their homes. Read the story, please. Everyone work. If you consider the task, the job at hand, like, wow, this is massive. It's not possible to get this thing done. It's just not realistic. But when you narrow the thing down so that we can understand that as individuals, the way Nehemiah did. Listen, you, your family, and you, your family, and you, your family. Just work on the portion of the wall in front of your home. Forget about the bigger picture. That's my responsibility as your leader. Just work on the wall in front of your home. You guys, you Levites, you work on these gates in front of your home. You people work on your portion of the wall and the gate in front of your home. And in record time, the Bible says 52 days they got the job done. 52 days they got it done. And it was solid. What does the Bible say about that concerning you and I? One verse I'll leave you with. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Verse 12 it says one standing alone can be attacked and defeated. Two can stand back to back and conquer. Three is even better because a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Let me close. Life is not easy for believers in general, much less for Managing God's affairs in a church like this. And I know that you are experiencing some difficulties. But number one, you need to know that God is faithful. God is here. God is here, God's people. God is here, God's people. God is here, God's people. God is in this place, God's people. You have to believe it. Because you can't move on if you fail to believe that. God is here. He's in this place. What did we worship for if we don't believe that? Who did we worship this morning? Who are we acknowledging by coming here? Let's just close the doors and call it quits. Toss the white flag. No, the devil's a liar. God is in this place. God is faithful. Amen. God is faithful. He's working it out. Unfortunately, we can't see what He's doing behind the scenes, but He's in this place. He's working it out. It's His business. Our business is to keep our eyes fixed on Him and to declare always that He is faithful. Number two, you need a burden. What does that mean, Rick? You have to take ownership of your role in this situation. You need a burden. You have to take ownership of your significance in this body of Christ. This body is made up of many believers, of many members. And every member is needed. Every member is necessary. And every member must be up for the task at hand. What would worship have been this morning without a worship leader? Oh, Lord. Lord. Right. What would worship had been without the ushers who collected the offering? Oh, Lord, that's it's it's a part of worshiping God. We give him a portion of what he blesses us with. All of it belongs to him. He chooses to leave us with 90 percent. It all belongs to him. We're all significant. Get a burden from God, people of God. Get a burden from the Lord. Take ownership. Wrap your heart and your mind around this task that you're dealing with today. And run with this thing. Pass the baton whenever necessary. But run the good fight, uh, the the good race, the, the good race. Run this thing out. Don't get tired. Rest if you will, but don't you quit. Move in the direction that God has in store for you. Move. You shall reap if you faint not. Number three. You need vision, you need a plan. You're not going anywhere, church, without vision. You might as well just pack the pack up your bags and leave. Without vision, you're not going anywhere. You need to know what God has in store. In a sense, you need to be sensitive to the to the spirit of God according to the word of God. So it's not about customs and traditions and and and, and whatever not about isms ologies and sophies right you get that did you get that it's not about voices outside of the word of god it's about what thus saith the lord get a hold of the word of god and run with the word of god you could take this thing to the bank i don't know about you but for 28 years i've been taking this to the bank i've been cashing it in it's been yielding a harvest every single day of my life who would ever thought i got four felonies on my record I just mentioned a couple to you, but I got four. I'm a four-time loser and then some. And man, all my life told me, you're never going to amount to anything. And yet, look where I'm standing this morning. That's my God. And I listen to my God. I don't listen to the critics. I don't listen to the naysayers. God is able to, ex- to do exceedingly and abundantly above what you and I could ever ask or think. Amen, people of God. We can't do it alone. Everybody is required to work on the wall. You want want to raise this thing up? You are required to participate from young to old, male and female. Everyone here is required. The Bible tells us that they were so committed that they were working with one hand and with the other hand they held swords in their hands. They had a team with swords on the back that weren't working and the team that was working with one hand and the other hand on a sword. And then they changed places. And they changed places. And they only stopped when it was necessary to change their clothing. To wash their clothing. That's what the Bible says. They had a vision and ultimately they had a city, disabled people. God is doing a great thing in this church. I declare God is going to raise you up because you're going to get a burden from the Lord and you're going to do what's necessary as a body of believers. You're going to denounce the voices, the nonsense. You're going to get to work. You're going to pick your leader. You're going to get to work and you're going to move forward. And this church is going to be a blessing in this community because it's needed. It's the devil's objective to destroy and to close these doors. It's your responsibility to keep these doors open and so that this church serves as a beacon in this neighborhood. Amen, somebody. It's your responsibility as believers. Stand with me. I'm going to pray. And I'm done. Buy your heads with me, please. Close your eyes. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for this inspiration. We thank you, Lord God, for your word. It's a challenge, Lord. It's a challenge. There's so much rubble in front of us. So much debris, Lord God. Everything seems to be scorched around us. I'm hurting, Lord God. We're in pain, Lord God. We don't even have identity anymore, Lord God. These are difficult times, Heavenly Father. We need your undivided attention. We need you to shape our perspectives. Help us to understand the way you understand. Help us to see the way you see. Help us to hear the way you hear. Open our hearts and flood our hearts with the wisdom of God. And with the love of God. With the grace of God. With the mercies of God. And help us to press in. To press through the way Nehemiah did, Lord God. He committed himself to you for months at a time until he got a word from you, a definitive word from you, something that he can work with and then proceed accordingly. Proceed accordingly. Wow. We need to hear from you so that we can proceed accordingly. I pray that you bless this church in a very powerful way. I pray that you raise up the leaders in this church, Lord God, with burden, with passion, Lord God, with commitment to you first. Enough, Lord God, with the political correctness. Enough, Lord God, with the criticism, enough, Lord God, with the pointing of fingers, Heavenly Father. Help us, Lord God, tear down some things. As we are working on building up some things, tear down some other things, Lord God. Somehow, some way the enemy has erected in our midst. I pray your blessings on these leaders. Pray your blessings on the membership of this church. I pray that they remain givers, Lord God, during this difficult transitional period. Givers, Lord God, so that these doors may remain open. So that you may have your way in the lives of the people in this community. Father, we thank you. We bless you. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And all all of God's people say, one more time, all of God's people say, one more time, all of God's people say, Amen. God bless you. Thank you for allowing us to participate in this worship this morning. God bless.